was thinking about something this week, and as I thought about it, I had one of those moments where I went, aw. You ever had, you ever thought about something and it just makes you go, aw. So, so here's what I want to know. Who, who in this place, if there anybody here, you've already had a birthday this year. Anyone? Okay. Uh, some of you, aw. <laughs> what do you have to look forward to for the rest of the year? That's what I was wondering. And that's what came to my mind. Because my, my birthday's in March, and my wife's already asking, because I'm very hard to buy things. I just am. Uh, everything I want is way too big and way too expensive. Um, and, and so she was asking me that. And it just I thought of my sister's birthday is January 10th. And I went, well, what do you look forward to the rest of the year? You know what I mean? And my poor wife's birthday is in December, which is right by Christmas. So it all kind of piles up right there. But then you start. Now, it's a little bit funny to think about that. But I would imagine that anybody in here under the age of 10, you, you're ready for your birthday, right? You're excited. and uh-huh, see, you, It doesn't even matter if it's seven months. You look forward to it. It is exciting. I know as we get older, maybe uh, we don't look forward to our birthday as much, or we maybe stop on a certain birthday and we continue repeating that one over and over again at times. But there is just something uh, that happens when we have something out there that we're looking forward to, whether it be a birthday or maybe there's an anniversary or, uh, you know, uh, you talk with young couples who are ready for their wedding day and they're looking forward, and there's just a lot of anticipation that builds up when there's something out there in the future. You know it's coming. You know it's... It's going to happen. You know other people are going to recognize, and you're just excited and, and ready for it to happen. And that's what we're looking at actually today. It's the day of Pentecost. It's when the Holy Spirit comes because up until this point, what we have been looking at in the book of Acts, Jesus had ascended into heaven, and he had told his disciples that they were going to be his witnesses, and they were going to be his witnesses starting in Jerusalem going out through all the world. They were going to speak his word boldly. They were going to take his name out. And then they said, also, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so they know that the Holy Spirit is coming. They're anticipating this. They're waiting for this. They're ready for this. And then today is the day. Now, what's it like when you get up and it's your birthday, Judy? What's it like? You're not in here, are you? Where are you? She, she, she'll be in here later. It's Judy's birthday, by the way. If you want to tell Judy Legali, it's happy birthday for her. And I, I made this whole message just for, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, you get up and it's your birthday, you're a little excited about that. You get up at your wedding day, you're probably a little more excited about that. You know, you get up at your anniversary, hopefully you remember it's your anniversary and you're excited about those things. There's just certain days you get up and it, it's, it's a little bit more exciting. Now, obviously, the disciples didn't know we were going to get up today and this was going to happen. But, man, this day happens and it, it rings in. And, and here's where this all started. We, we started this sermon series back early part of January looking at a verse, Acts 4.31. Acts 4.31, this verse says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God boldly. Now, what you're going to find out is that actually this is the second time that that's happened in the book of Acts, when we looked at 4.31. That time in 4.31, that happened after they had been speaking the word of God boldly, and they were told by the leaders in the area, you've got to stop speaking this. And they went back before the Lord and said, what are we supposed to do? And they said, God, give us, you know, fill us with your spirit and continue to let us speak your word boldly. And God answered that prayer with a shake. I mean, he just, whew, he shook the place and said yes to that prayer and continued to let them do that. So here's something that I want, I want us to understand right before we get into Acts chapter 2. And I think this is going to help us have a framework 
for understanding a little bit of the role of the Holy Spirit and why God sent him as a comforter and how he helps us in prayer. Now, I, get, I need to give you a disclaimer this morning. Um, I've already told you that we could look at the topic of prayer and we could probably preach on it for quite some time. We could study it for quite some time and not touch everything. That's not what we're trying to do. And let me just say something today. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to talk about about this much <laughs> of the Holy Spirit because we're going to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer, uh, but not the totality and the role of the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot that you can study here on your own. But one thing to kind of frame us this morning and get us ready is we need to understand something that we're going to see in this passage of Acts chapter 2, and that is this, that God is for the nations. God is for the nations. You know, a lot of times we're going to get into this in just a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper, but so many times we only see our, our relationship with God, but we don't necessarily think about God is for the nations. God is wanting everyone to come to know him. God is wanting his word spread to everyone around the world, here in Weatherford, in Texas, in the nation, in the world. And he, God wants to use us to do that. You're going to hear me say that a couple of times today because hopefully that will sink into us that God is for the nations. And so when we look at Acts 4.31 especially, and you look back at it and you go, wow, you know, God answered that prayer, and he answered that prayer in such a way that it was just a shaking of the building. I wish God would answer my prayers like that. How do I pray in such a way where God answers those prayers like that? Well, when you pray something along the lines of what they're praying, God, use me to speak your word boldly and take it out to those around me. God's going to answer that prayer. We've already said that. Because that was right in line with what God desires to do. For what they had prayed was for the Spirit to fill them and for them to go speak the Word of God boldly. And what we're going to see today is that same type of thing. It's a prayer for God. That, what we learned today is that prayer they prayed in 431 was actually, God, continue what you started in chapter 2. Which they didn't know it as chapter 2 because they were living it, not writing it at the time. But God answered that prayer and 431 with a shake because it was right in line with God's will that the nations know who he is. So let's look at this in Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 13 verses here in Acts chapter 2. But I want to point some things out along the way. It says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together. We keep pointing this out in the first four chapters of Acts and continued through that. But I just want to say it again. And it should be a for you because guess what? We're here and we're all together. But it should continue to emphasize the importance. Can you pray on your own? Yes. Should you be praying by yourself? Yes. Should you do, you know, things on your own? Live out? Yes. But there is power in being all together. And we see it over and over and over and over in the book of Acts. So it says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, <clears throat> they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent, rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then, and you got to catch this, then they were all, get that, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled him. So get this picture. Who was in the place? All of the disciples, not just the 11. All the followers of Christ were in one place together. 
as Pentecost came. And then the sound of rushing wind comes in, and it says that then they were all, not just the special ones, not the chosen ones, not just the, the all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then who began to speak in different tongues? All of them began to do this. Not just two, not just three, not just one, not just, they're all. So there's the picture you need to get. Now, there were Jews, starting in verse 5 again, staying in Jerusalem. Devout people, here's another thing that's key, <clears throat> from where? From every nation under heaven. From every nation. So I want you to just stop. I'm going to set this aside for a little bit, and then I'll read it again. Here's the picture. The disciples have been told, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and through the ends of the earth. And you need to know that the Holy Spirit is coming. This is what Jesus told them. So they took what Jesus had said to them, and they went back, and this was their habit. They continued to gather together. They continued to gather together. They continued to gather together. And they continued to pray, they continued to pray, they continued to pray. That was what they did. That is the activity, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, it's the activity of believing. It's not the activity of waiting. It's not sitting around going, well, we don't know what to do until Jesus does what he, no. They were believing that God was going to do what he said, and so they were gathering together, and they were praying, believing that God was going to do this. And so now on this day, God fulfills his word. He sends the Holy Spirit, but it just happens to be the day of Pentecost. It happens to be a day where they're in Jerusalem all gathered together, and it happens to be a day where people from every nation on earth are gathered together there in one place. Hmm, what a coincidence. No, not a coincidence. The moving, the timing, and the hand of God is all coming to play. The disciples didn't see this or know this up until this time, but now you look back at, you know, what's that saying, hindsight's twenty twenty. You look back and go, oh, God, that's a great idea. He usually has really good ones. I just thought I'd let you know that. Oh, God, that's a great idea. And so they're all gathered together, and here the Spirit comes, and then we'll pick it up again. In verse 6, it says, When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? All right, and then we're going to go through a list of nations, most of which I can pronounce. I just thought I would tell you that. How is it that each of us can hear each of them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. I don't know this one. Phrygia, I think, Pamphylia. Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some brilliant ones came up with what it means. Some sneered and said, they're drunk. Now, I don't know about you, never been drunk, been around a few people who are drunk, and I never heard them start speaking, well, they spoke some different languages, but it wasn't anything that you could actually understand, and so they, this, is, this is not what is happening. So you get the picture, right? Holy Spirit's come, and now these people who have been gathered together and praying 
are seeing this great outpouring of the Spirit of God on them in such a way that they all begin speaking in languages that the, all the nations can hear. What an incredible picture. And they don't even have to go out looking for people because people understand that something's going on and God just starts gathering a crowd together to see, well, let's go see what's going on over here. And the crowd comes together and they're, ah, you know, I, I don't understand what's going on. So let's dig a little bit deeper into this picture, okay? And let's understand this. Again, God's for the nations, but the other thing that you need to understand is this. God pursues everyone. God pursues everyone. There's not a single person on this planet that God doesn't love. There's not a single person on this planet that God did not send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for so that that person can have the forgiveness of the sins of their sins so that that person can have a restored relationship with God and so that that person can, it, can know what it means to walk with God and experience life like God created us to be for. So you need to understand that. Your greatest enemy, God pursues them. Your best friend, God pursues them. Everyone in between, God pursues them. God pursues everyone. And he's doing everything that he can to put in the hearts of people a spirit and a boldness to go and share his great works with those around them. That's how he is pursuing everyone, and that's the picture that we see here. Let me just tell you, as a church, this is exactly in line with the vision that we talk about as a church, that First Baptist Church desires to be a place where people can discover that they're fully known and fully loved by God. We use that phrase often around here. You see it on our walls. You see it on some of our printed material, is that that's our desire. That's our desire. We understand that there's going to be a diversity of people. We understand that we're not all going to agree on everything, but we want this to be an environment and a place where people can come to and discover that they are fully known by God. They, God knows everything that they've done, been, seen, heard, said, all of those things. He knows that about you. He knows that about me. But even in the midst of that, God loves us, and he sent his son to die for us, to forgive us our sins so that we can walk with him. We're all in the same boat with that. We all have a past, we all have a present, and we all have a future. Your future depends on whether you put your faith in Christ and walk with him or whether you choose to do your future by yourself. That's, that's how the future is determined. But God offers the same thing to each and every one of us. And we want to be a place where people can discover they're fully known and fully loved. We've already said this, that the timing of God's pouring out of his spirit was such that people from every nation were there to hear the word of God spoken boldly. So what an incredible, incredible picture that is. And God sent the spirit to do his work of reaching the nations. God desires to reach the nations. God sent the spirit to do his work of reaching the nations, but he did it through the vessel of men and women. He sent his spirit to now come, you know, before you had speaking through the prophets and speaking through the leaders, and then Jesus comes, and Jesus himself is speaking and teaching, and now God has sent his spirit to dwell within the lives and the hearts of his followers, and we're supposed to be living out and doing the things of reaching the nations, reaching those around us. That's what God has put his spirit in, his, in our hearts and empowered us to do. Let me, let me show you First Timothy Two, one through four, and let me show you a great, a great example of how prayer and the will of God and the Spirit of God all meld together in just these few verses. Second, or First Timothy, chapter two, verses one through four says this. Paul's writing. He says, first of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for 
everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. And look at this. Who wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, how can Paul say that God wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth? Well, what did Jesus say, again, as he was teaching his disciples? You're going to go and you're going to be my witnesses all throughout the world. This is right in line, saying that God wants everyone to come to know him. But we've so much in this that, again, that I can't go down every rabbit trail that's going on in my brain. But God not only wants us to come to a, a salvation, and understanding that we have sinned and that we need forgiveness and that we want to live with him. He wants us to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants us to understand that when we follow his way, then life works out as, as he has designed it and, and our hearts are in a much better place and our lives are in a much better place. And we come to that knowledge of the truth that God's way is right and best and our way is always falling short of that. And so that's what God's desire is and we see that. So we understand in this passage that God is for everything. Now, the second thing, I want to say this a little bit different way. You've probably heard me talk about this before. And if this is something that, that makes kind of the hair stand up on the back of your neck, I'd love to dialogue with you about this time. Because this is one of those topics that I go, you know what, I'm still kind of working this out in my brain as well. But I want to share this with you. Faith is personal, but God is not. Faith is personal, but God is not. Now, before you sit there and go, I don't know that I understand this. Well, this is, this is me. I'll just confess it. It's me kind of pushing back a little bit on this idea that, that you need to have a personal, that, that we come to a personal faith in God because that's been distorted in our world in such a way that it, it has a tendency when we use certain language to put ourselves right here and God kind of right here. Is that God is here for my life to be the best that I think my life can be, and God is here to answer my request and my things. Now, we wouldn't boldly just say that, but sometimes we kind of creep into that type of mindset. So that's why I make this statement, faith is personal and God is not. And let me just point some things out from this passage. Who heard the message that day? Everyone, all. How was it shared? That's what we need to go back and we need to look at. It says in here, in verse 4, they were all, meaning all the disciples, they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That means this. Some of them probably spoke a lot. Some of them probably spoke a little. Some of them probably spoke to big groups. Some of them probably spoke to small groups. Some of them probably talked to one person. As the Spirit enabled them, all, all of the followers of Christ we're doing the work. But the way that it was lived out personally, we're all living out the same thing, but it's lived out personally due to different giftings, different experiences, different upbringing, everything else. Who did the work of sharing? All the followers of Christ. How did they do it? As the Spirit enabled them. So again, faith is personal. How I, how I follow Christ is going to obviously be in line with what he's called me to do, how he's gifted me, where he has put me, how he has wired me to do these type of things. But our God is a God that is for the nations. He's not just here for me. 
He's here for the nations. And so that's what I'm trying to say with this, that God is not our own personal God to be our co-pilot and our guide to do what we want in life. God is for the nations and for his will to be done around the world. And how we live it out is very personal because we're individuals and God wired us that way. So, like I said, I'm still kind of working through that, but I just feel it's, an, it's need to say it's, it goes in line with what I shared last week as well about we need to learn to view our life through the lens of the Bible, not the other way around, not viewing the Bible through our life. You know, sometimes we have situations, things that come up in life, and we say, oh, God, I need an answer, and we're, we've got the filter of all our situation and all our life, and we're just kind of digging through God's Word, trying to find something to speak to it. Instead of flipping it around saying, God, I'm going to read your word, and when I see something that tells me to do something, I'm just going to start doing it. I'm going to live my life through the lens of the Bible, not the other way around. This is what we mean. So let's dig a little bit deeper then and and look about the role of the Spirit here. It says the Holy Spirit is poured out on all who believe. The Holy Spirit is poured out on all who believe. Now this this is key. He's poured out to be a comforter a guide, and he's given to us to empower us to accomplish God's work through us. The Holy Spirit is a guide, he's a comforter to us, but he's here to empower us to accomplish the work of God through us, okay? Was there any way that what we just read could have happened without the power of God working through the lives of the believers? No. Absolutely no way. Did they love God? Yes. Were they following God? Yes. Would they have done anything that God asked them to do? Probably so. At this point in time, they are sold out as they could possibly be to God. But there's no way that they could accomplish what was accomplished on the day of Pentecost without the Holy Spirit working through them, without God empowering them to actually get that done. So let me just say this. All of your good works and all of your deeds and all of the things that you want to do for God are awesome. Dream big dreams for God and, and follow him in big ways. But understand, unless the Holy Spirit is powering what you're doing, it's probably going to fall short of what God can do. And that's the role that we see. Now, remember, I'm taking a really small thing. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives of prayer is that we need to understand that God is going to lead us. Now, God is going to help us. Now, there's a couple of of extremes that I think happen in a pretty common way uh, with the Holy Spirit. The first one is this. I'll confess, in growing up in church with godly parents and with godly people all around, I'll be real honest with you. I don't know that we talked about the Holy Spirit all that much. I just don't remember it. Um, It wasn't something that in my upbringing was talked about a lot. Um, there were some other faiths that talked about it a whole lot. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And, and, and so you had this one extreme that I would say, um, I don't know a better way to say it, but it was just kind of the spiritually stagnant. You know, we, we knew the Holy Spirit was there because it said it in the Bible, but we didn't, okay, there's the Spirit, and, you know, what, what do we do with this? And, and there, it kind of leads some people to think, well, they're not really qualified to do anything with this, and they don't ever use a gift. Now, let's go back to that birthday thing. We look forward to our birthdays. We look forward to it. Why? You don't get something. You don't just get it and go, oh, I got a gift. We're just going to leave it right. Ooh. You're waiting. People plan. People thought about this. They give you a gift because they want you to use that gift. You ask for that gift or you get that gift, and it becomes worthwhile when you use it. And so here's what I would say, quite honestly. Like I said, the topic of the Holy Spirit is it's huge. 
If it's something you never thought about, I would encourage you, think about it. Look at it. Study it and ask yourself the question, how, how's the Holy Spirit working in me and through me? For some of you, that may be a stretch. Some of you, that may scare you because you may have grown up in the church where they go, oh, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we know he's here, but we're not going to talk about that, you know. And, and, and I understand, but you've got to understand the role of the Holy Spirit is what? It's a guide. He's a comforter. And he empowers us to do the work of God through us. And so if we ignore the gift of the Holy Spirit, which God has given to who? All, all who believe in him. If we ignore that power, then, then we're not able to accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish. We're, we're trying to do things on our own. And l- let me see if this sounds familiar to anybody. So we set up maybe guides and goals and systems that make us feel good about our progress in walking with Christ because we can get a gold star for doing this or a check mark for doing this. Or are we tend to be regimented in what we do and get stuck in, well, i got to do this every day because if I don't do this every day, God doesn't love me type of thing. As opposed to going, I'm just being filled and led by the Spirit. And my spiritual disciplines do nothing but enhance that, but they are not my relationship with God. My relationship with God is a relationship with a living, alive, real person, not just the process of me learning and doing spiritual disciplines. So I'm going to speak to the other side of this very briefly and with love and compassion, and I want you to know this. So don't take this too far, but there are the spiritually, if we have the spiritually stagnant on one end, there's not a better word to say that we have the spiritually arrogant on the other end. And I don't mean that in a rude sense, but you, when you look at it, you have some who are out there that teach that, well, the Spirit is it's personal, and we have different levels of the Spirit, or there's, you have to have these certain signs in your life for the Spirit to be, that's, that's not consistent with what we see in God's Word. We do see consistency in God's word that the Spirit enables and empowers people in different ways. Absolutely. And so there are some who have different giftings and different abilities and different things as God sees fit to pour out on them. But we do not see that that is not available to all. We do not see that the Spirit isn't there for and with everyone. And so don't let people say the other way where, well, you're not as spiritual as me because you can't do these things or because God hasn't spoken to you in this way. That's as ridiculous as thinking you're not as spiritual as me because some reason I'm up on this stage and you're not. Let me just tell you something. That ain't true. Because every day that I get up on this stage, I go, why am I up here instead of anybody else. That's honestly how I feel. And that's not false humility. That's fear. A lot of times just going, if they only knew. You know what I mean? And that's just the truth. We are all saved by the grace of God. And we are all working to follow and do his will. And the way that we do it is with the Holy Spirit as our guide and the Holy Spirit empowering us to do that. It is available to you. It is there for you. And so another thing that we see in here just to, to point it out, is that God is glorified when we are unified. I mean, we say this a lot, but again, they were all together. The whole passage began, they were all together. And it's even in the midst of diversity, because we already saw a story a few weeks ago how they had people together and they were trying to determine who's the next person to, to, to take Judas's place. And, and I promise you, you, you just think about this logically. If you had two people and there's a choice, that means there were some people in the group of believers who thought that this person was the best one. And there were some people in the group of believers who thought that this person was the best one. But they chose one. They put him in the place of leadership. And that means that there were some people who didn't get their way. But they were still unified. 
That didn't change their unity. It just means that they had to make a leadership decision and they had to move forward. They didn't let things like that stand in the way of unity because they understood that God is glorified when we are unified. And so they were all together. And then we see this again in this underlying statement. They each acted as they were gifted, as the Spirit had enabled them. And so we understand that God has just given some people the ability to do things that I can't do. Amen? Do you know some people in life who can do some things that you can't do? I do, (laughs) and I call on them often when I need those things done. And you know what happens? They call on me often when they need me to do some things that they can't do. That's called together. That's why God continues to bring us together. Can you live your faith out on your own? Sure, but nowhere near like you can when you are together. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, huh? Old church choir, that's what I'm preaching to today. So that's it. All right, so how do we live this out? How do we take this message and we actually live this out? What does this mean for me today? How do I put this into action? Well, I want to tell you some exciting things today. I want to start with this. First one is this. This is for you. I get to translate the story of God in a way that others can understand. That's our role as a follower of Christ. And that's what the Holy Spirit helps us to actually accomplish, is that I get to translate the story of God in a way that others can understand. Now, we see in this picture that God empowered his followers to bridge a language barrier, and he can still do that if he wants. God's God. He can do that. But let me just tell you something. We live in a world where finding what is truth and what is a lie, finding what is real and what is not, is getting increasingly more difficult. We live in a world that continues to empower and embrace the, the individual to the point that we're, we're losing sometimes what is good for the whole. We're going to say, well, there's one person out here who this doesn't work for, so we need to change the laws and we need to adapt things for this one person or this small minority, and everybody else who's in the majority needs to kind of move on with it. We're getting dangerously close to this line, where, and it's impossible. So it's hard for some people to figure out what is right and what is wrong because all their life they have been told, well, whatever you think is right for you, then that's what's right. Ooh, that's not true. It's also not sustainable because if I think it's right to do something that harms you, <laughs> Who gets to tell me that's wrong if I think it doesn't work out? So what we get to do is we get to translate the story of God in a way that others can understand. Maybe God has called you to learn a new language, move across the globe, and take that story of God to those people. There are people sitting here who have done that. But maybe God has called you to take your story and talk to somebody who doesn't know him in such a way that they can begin to understand, oh, that's what it means to follow God. I'm just going to tell you something. I believe this from the bottom of my heart. I get more convicted about it every day. The most powerful gospel story is yours. It's you learning to say, this is what God has done in my life. This is how I see God working. And I want to just share with you what God is doing. And and, and people, people can sometimes argue a book. If they see it as a book, people can sometimes argue history. But when you look at someone and say, let me tell you what God has done in my life, and you know it's true, they can't argue that. They have to deal with it. I, again, you, you may have heard me share this message about John chapter 9, the man who was born blind 
All he ever said to people was, look, I don't know. I was blind and now I see. That's all I know about Jesus. And nobody could argue it because you know what? He was blind and now he could see. And the whole town had to wrestle with who Jesus was because one person said, all I know is I was blind and now I see. Your story is powerful and you get to translate the story of God in a way that others can understand. Some of you, God is going to use you to do that for thousands and thousands of people. Some of you, God is going to use you to do that for a few as the Spirit has enabled and gifted you. But God is going to use every person in this place to do it. God is for the nations, and God wants to use you to share his story. That's why he saved you, and that's why he's empowering you with his spirit to do that. Your story is the one that somebody needs to hear today. And you need to share that story with someone to help them know what you know. So that's the first thing you get to do. You get to share your story. The next thing is this. I need to pray exponentially. Look at me using math terms, all right? I need to pray exponentially. Why, why, do, I, why do I say that? I just get more and more convicted about my, myself. Sometimes I tell you I preach good messages to myself that I let y'all listen to. And, and I think this one kind of goes over overall. Is that here's a truth for, for many, many of us. We're praying way too small. And, and we think, well, well, how do I make this, this bigger? We need to pray exponentially. Exponentially means you add a zero. <laughs> you ever done that? You know, you ever had that moment where you're like, well, what should we give to this? I don't know, maybe 50 bucks. And then the Holy Spirit goes, why don't you add a zero to that? And I go, 500. That's 75. Let's just go 75, God. Can we just do this? I mean, that's like, wow. He's like, no, 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 you're thinking way too small. And I'll just be honest with you. I think some of us, when it comes to the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you're thinking way too small. And some of us, when it comes to prayer in our life, you're thinking way too small. Listen to me, church. God's not going to use me to reach Weatherford and beyond. God's going to use you and me to do that. If we're not doing this together, it doesn't work. We each do our job as the Spirit has enabled us, and then it works. We got empty chairs, and we got room at 830. Why not fill them up? The only way we fill them up is when you get exponential, and you start believing that I can actually do this. I can get up 30 minutes earlier, get myself ready. I can go pick someone up. Heck, I'll take them to breakfast. I'll buy them breakfast every week and then bring them to church. I'll do whatever I can to share the story of God's laid on my heart and put people in a place where they can come together and do that. When we get serious about that, God will start moving exponentially. We're going to see next week that the church went from 120 to 3,000 in a day. That's pretty exponential there, you know. We'd go, oh, God, just pray, let's have 10%. If we can just move from 120 to 132 the next, day, the next year, we'd be awesome. We're growing. We're How about we just go, God, could you just blow the doors off this place where we're going, oh, my gosh, we have no idea what to do. Wouldn't that be awesome? Pray exponentially. And God's spirit will move, but he's only going to move when we're together and when we're following his will. What's his will? He gives the Holy Spirit to us to guide, to comfort, but to empower us to do his work. What's his work? Reach the nations. That's his work. That's what you should be doing. You want your life to be fulfilling? Reach the nations. You want to feel awesome about what you're doing in life? Reach the nations. Share 
the word with God and what he's doing in your life with everyone that you come in contact with. But if what I'm saying just makes you feel really, really, really uneasy, then know this. The Holy Spirit will fill the gap. The Holy Spirit will fill the gap. Could you imagine if they put a committee meeting together and said, all right, we got all the nations represented here in Jerusalem. How can we go about doing this? <laughs> and they went, well, we got this idea. Well, let's put a spreadsheet up over here and do this. Well, let's have a chart over here and flow this. And we're just going to get... There's no way that anybody would have come up with the plan. Let's just start talking. They're all going to understand it anyway. Nobody would have come up with that plan. Who filled that gap? The Holy Spirit. Why did he fill that gap? Because the people of God were together. They were unified. They were ready to do what God had asked them to do, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to obey what God asked them to do. The Holy Spirit will fill the gap. If you have fear in doing this, welcome to the club. That's all I've got to say. If you think that somehow, because I have been a professional Christian now for 27 years, that I don't get nervous or I don't get scared or I don't sit in my head going, oh, my gosh, what do I say to this person? How do I do this? What do I do to invite them to church? You're wrong. Every time it happens. Every time. But I know that God and his spirit is going to fill that gap. And when I don't know what to say, sometimes I just start talking. It's amazing, you know, how, to just watch how God fills the gap in these little ways. You're missing out on that if you're not inviting people to church. You're missing out on that if you're not sharing your story. You're missing out on that if you're not trying to give God away to the nations. You've got to do that. You've got to do that to experience this. And so whether it's in prayer or in life, in whatever you're called to do, God will give you what you need to accomplish the task. And that is a center truth that we see in this passage. God gave them exactly what they needed to accomplish what he had called them to do. Now, sometimes we don't even know what to pray. God, how do I pray exponentially? What in the world do I do? Well, the Holy Spirit helps us with that as well. Romans 8, 26 says this. If you can, oh, sorry. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Amen. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should. Amen. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. What does that mean? That means God knows your heart. That, mean, that means God knows. God, I don't even know what to pray. I just know I want to be used by you. Awesome. Spirit will take it from there. And if you stay willing to be used, God will use you. I'm getting a little fired up. I don't know about you. Because I believe there's a few people in this place that are actually going to take what we're seeing today and they're going to take it seriously. And they're going to see God begin to do things in their life like never before. They're going to let the Spirit of God begin working in their life. And they're going to be able to say things like, I, I was blind, now I see, I don't know how it happened. But this is it. And they're going to give glory to God because of this. That's how this works. If we can plan it all out and figure it all out, that's not usually the Spirit of God. Because when you put God in an equation... That's when exponential begins to happen. We think we can do this. God goes, watch what I can do. And that's when we begin to see things happen. We want First Baptist Church to become a place where people discover they're fully known and fully loved by God. Wouldn't it be awesome if God used us to reach Weatherford? Wouldn't it be awesome if God used us to reach Texas? Wouldn't it be awesome if God used this church to reach a nation around the world? See, that's what I mean by so many times, and I'm guilty of this. God, watch over my children because I love them, and I want what's best for them, and that's my prayer. And God, be with my wife and, and help her. But how often, how often am I praying, God, use me to reach the nations? 
God, use me to make a difference. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit and let me speak the word of God boldly. How often am I praying that? You may be praying that every day at 431, but has it sunk in yet? As we prayed at the bowling alley yesterday at 431 with a lot of us. It was great. So let me just close with this thought. Here's where it's left up to you. I can trust God to do what he says. God said he was going to send the Spirit, and he did. God said he was going to use the disciples to reach the nations, and he did. And God continues to say that he's going to use us to go and help people know and follow him, and he will if you're willing to do that. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Before you can be together with a group of followers, believers in Christ, you yourself obviously need to be a follower and believer of Christ. And perhaps, and while we're talking, God has been speaking to you in your heart, and this idea that you can trust God to do what he says does speak to you in your relationship as well. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. And God can forgive your sin, and God can bring you in a right standing with him if you will let him. He loves you. He created you, and he wants the best for you if you will follow him. And so, if you have never made that decision to follow Christ, I pray that you would do that today. As this verse is shared with, it, with us, it's just a matter of, of beginning, confessing with your mouth. Jesus says, Lord God, I believe you are who you say you are and that Jesus is who you sent him to be. I believe that in my heart. God, and I pray you would come into my heart and take over my life. Forgive me of my sins and help me to follow you. If you want to make that decision today, then you can. Begins with a decision in your heart. We would love to help you with that. Our pastors and staff are going to be available here at the front in just a moment or after the service, and we would love to talk with you about that. And I'm excited about that possibility today, and I'm also excited about what God might be stirring in the hearts of those who are willing to take him at his word and go about his business of reaching the nations, allowing the Spirit to work through us and to speak the word of God boldly. It begins today, if you will let it. Would you stand your feet?